Welcome back to another episode of Mastering Money for Moms podcast, where we're discussing the two greatest generational gifts, raising a family and leaving a legacy. If you would, please like, subscribe, and share our podcast with others so we can help educate more people. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening. Welcome, everyone, to our latest episode of Mastering Money for Moms, where we're building wealth and raising families together. So today I have with me Camilla Jeffs. Get ready listeners to be blown away. She has 20 years of real estate experience. She's the founder and CEO of Steady Stream Investments, which is an education company that's teaching about passive investments through apartment buildings. She also holds an MBA. She's a general partner on a thousand units and has a 65 bed assisted living community. She started four businesses. She's also the mom to five children, folks. Five. Get that. And somehow she finds time to play tennis and soccer and last but not least, raise farm animals. So I just, when I read your bio, I was blown away and I'm so excited to hear more about you. So thank you for coming on and welcome. Thanks so much, Jennifer. It's so good to be here with you. Well, I can't wait to dig in. So let me let me back up because I was blown away because you're young, in my opinion, you're younger than me. And the fact that you have 20 years of real estate experience, let me ask you, who got you excited or into real estate in the beginning? Yeah, so it was interesting because um, I got married quite young and um, my husband and I were broke college students and we were just trying to make ends meet. And we were living in a garage apartment, like a you know somebody's detached garage that they had made into a dwelling <laughs> and it was and it was all we could afford right because we were we just didn't have any money we we both didn't have anything we came from nothing and so um while we're living there the landlady came around to collect rent and i just asked her i said you know i know you own several rentals in the city so how do you how do you even do that and she said to me, oh, oh, what you need to do is you should buy a house. I'm like, lady, you don't understand. We have no money. We're living in your nasty garage apartment. How are we supposed to ever buy a house? She said, no, no, this is what you do. You buy a house that has a basement apartment in it, and then you rent that out. And then you can live there for really cheap or free. And I thought about that, you know, and, and, uh, and then that's exactly what we did. So we, we purchased, we went from living in a garage apartment and we purchased a six bedroom home that even had a pool in the backyard. And we lived there cheaper than we lived in the garage apartment because we rented out the basement. And that's what got me excited about doing real estate. And that was at, um, I was 22 when we bought that first investment property. Um, and from there, we just decided, okay, you know, I, you know, I decided I've got to figure this, you know, real estate thing out. And then, you know, that, that kind of put us on the the trajectory to where we are today. Wow. I love that. I've never heard of anybody saying, I mean, at a young age, right? You're 22 years old. First of all, I'm assuming back 22 years ago, you had to have a W-2 income to be able to get bank financing. Is that correct? Or did you have somebody yes. that helped lend you the money? No, we had, we had, to have, we had W-2s at the time. Okay. We and working. then 
back 22 years ago, did they have FHA loans that allow first homeowners to only put three and a half down? Exactly. And that's, so that's what we did, right? We took advantage of those programs. So when you're a homeowner, you can take advantage of the really low money down. You can um, get the best interest rates. It's a really great way to start your real estate journey is Mm -hmm. to house hack. We call it house hacking where you, you live in the home, but you figure out a way to make the home pay you rather than you paying out of pocket to, to, to live there. Well, this is why we both love you know, short-term rentals or, you know, long-term rentals, whatever you want to call them. We love rentals because you can do that. So my daughter bought a duplex and so she lived in one side and rented out the other side to her boyfriend. And so he was paying, (laughs) 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 which I love, I love the, and then when, um, he, he proposed to her, I said, well, you got to go buy a duplex first. (laughs) So he did to take advantage of the low FHA rate So, um, so I love that. So, so listeners out there, if you're hearing that, don't let your circumstances keep you from pursuing real estate. There's lots of different programs out there. So go talk to your local bank. Wouldn't you suggest, is that a great place Mm -hmm. to start? Yeah. To figure out what programs are available. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And then, so what did you do from there? Did you end up getting your real estate license or what kind of, you know, give us fill in the middle between where you are today and where, how you began? Yeah, well, so at that point, so when we bought that home, I was also pregnant with my first child. And, and so we, we actually, she was born in the garage. Well, not she born in the hospital, but she came, we brought her home to the garage apartment. And then I, you know, about a month later, we moved into the new, the new house. Um, and so I was still in school, still trying to finish my, my education. And, um, and so I was just trying to figure out what, what else I could do, because at that point I was home. Um, I was home with my baby, you know, I was doing school. So I'd quit my job. That's what I'm trying to say. I'd quit my job. And, uh, so I was just doing school and taking care of the baby. Um, and then I started trying to figure out, okay, what, do, what can we do next? What's the, what's the next step for us in terms of real estate? How can we really do this? I started reading as many books as I could find. Um, and, I found, I came upon a book that was called something one house at a time, right? Investing in real estate, one house at a time. And it seemed like something we could bite off and and chew it rather than there was a lot of different strategies out there and I was getting overwhelmed. Um, but the one house at a time made sense to me. And so the next thing we did is we bought a fixer upper and we moved into this, you know, old, old nasty house. And we lived there and we fixed it. So this method is called the live-in flip method, where you buy a fixer-upper, you live in it, you fix it up because you, again, we're getting the, the best financing, we're getting the, you know, the best interest rates. Um, and so we, it's affordable and, and easily done. Well, not easily, right? Because you live in a construction mess for a while, but you know, sacrifices. Um, and so we lived there, we fixed it up, and then we moved out two years later and rented it. And then that's the method that we chose to continue. So we just kind of rinsed and repeated that. We would move every two years. And two years is very specific because there's a tax strategy where if you have lived in the home two of the past five years, then you pay no capital gains tax. So we were taking, trying to take advantage of the tax strategy. So we were playing the tax game, right? We were you know, making sure that we played by the rules that, that are set out in the, in the code. 
um, and then we could we could sell for no capital gains. So we could you know, live in for two, rent for three, and sell. So some of them we did like that. Some of them we sold right away. It just kind of depended on the circumstance and what was going on at the time. Um, but that's really what we did. And I want to say one other thing, right? So I, so, you know, I had my first baby at 22 and within eight years, I had all five of my babies. So I had five kids in eight years. So it was preventative for me to go out and get a W-2 because paying for daycare for five kids is just, there's, uh, there was no W-2 I could get in my twenties that would pay for that, right? I would still be negative. Right. So um, so I, we decided that I would be the stay home parent and and take care of the children, but I felt really uncomfortable in, in my role. And like, I, I was not, I really wanted to contribute to the family finances in some way, but bringing in the income wasn't the way that I could do it at the time. And so I decided that I would turn into like the CFO of our family. So the chief financial officer, and I was going to learn about budgeting. I was going to learn about how to you know live frugally and save money. And I became this, this mega couponer and, and, uh, and then I also dove into investing and, and read all the books on investing. So I read all, all about the stock market. I read about real estate. I read about the different investment things that you can do, um, and decided that real estate was much easier to understand for me. Like it's something I could touch and feel and paint and make pretty. <laughs> Whereas the stock market, I was like, I just, I, I, you know, it was really hard for me to understand and really get into the stock market investing because it wasn't tangible. Um, and so that was what I decided to do. And what's interesting about that is that that's a, that's a huge contribution to the family finances. If you, if you be the one that can figure out how to invest, how to budget, how to really manage money and figure out how money works. Um, I think that's a really great thing for, for moms who are home with their kids, think something they can definitely do. Um, kudos to you, because most moms, when they're raising their kids, they're in these, this, uh, just sink or swim mode, right? You, you're just trying to get it, stay ahead or, you know, when you've got multiple kids and your kids outnumber you and your spouse, you're just trying to keep everybody alive and feed them. But I love, you know, this is why I'm in um, this, this role as well is because I stepped into the chief financial officer of my household too, very early on. And I came from a dad that was raised in the great depression. So just having bathrooms in the house, he thought was just magnificent, mm -hmm. but it was, it always came down to, is this a need or a want? And so I unfortunately kind of gave that to my kids every time we would consider buying something. Is it a need or a want? And however, I look back and think, okay, well, we've been able to get where we are because of that mindset of, okay, we're trying to build something, right? So we can't have everything we, every time we want it, right? So we have to kind of put some constraints and constraints can be good. So for the audience out there, We've all been raised to have what we want right now and just put it on a credit card, but it didn't always used to be that way. So think about, you just try to pull back a little bit. It doesn't have to be huge, but maybe 10 to 20% a month. And over time, it can really add up to a lot of, lot of money that allows you to do what Camilla has done and what I have done. So um, you mentioned something. I want to go back. 
because you bought this house that has a pool. And in my mind, I'm because I have some short term rentals and I'm thinking to myself, and there's a lot of us that probably have an extra room in our house that we could rent out. Right. So for somebody that has an extra room or a basement that's not being leveraged right now, we want to rent it out and you've got a pool in your backyard. Are they now swimming with you at the same time? Are they sharing the kitchen with you? How, what did that look like? I mean, kind of give us a, you know, a, a window into your life at that time and what, how you navigated certain spaces in your home that had to be shared. Yeah. Well, actually this house that we bought had a basement apartment that was fully separate. So it had its own kitchen. It had its own bathroom. Uh, but of course the pool we had to share <laughs> and, okay. um, and, and it was okay. It wasn't a, it wasn't a big deal to, to share the pool because, you know, we weren't in it all the time. They weren't in it all the time, you know, and it was in Northern Utah. So it was really only usable three months of the year. So it, was, yeah. it wasn't, um, it wasn't that big of a, of a deal, but you know, the driveway, you have to share the parking and you have to share those share those things. So it was a little bit uncomfortable. But I talked to a lot of people about um, about what can you do to house hack and and what does that look like? And there's actually a lot of creative ways that you can house hack. So it's not always sharing your house with people, but it could be, right? So it could be in, in different ways. So there's the there's the what the way that I did is we bought basically it was almost like a duplex, right? So our home with a basement apartment. Or you buy a home that has rooms in the basement and then you just rent the rooms in the basement and you share your kitchen. Uh, if you don't want to share a house with other people, maybe you leave one weekend a month and go stay with your parents or go on a trip or whatever, go camping and you Airbnb it for that weekend. I know someone who does this. He has a condo in California and he Airbnb is one weekend a month and it pays his entire mortgage. So he lives for free. They're all the, you know, the other 28 days of the month. Um, okay. Well, what if you feel icky about people being in your house and you don't like that? Do you have a spare bedroom that you could rent to other people to store their stuff? Like that's another great way. There's a really good, great startup. When I was doing my MBA, there was a startup that came out of it. It's called neighbor.com. They're like the Airbnb of storage. So you can put up your, you know, you have extra garage space, you have a shed out back, you have a room in your house and people need places to store their stuff because people buy way, way too much stuff. <laughs> And then they don't want to get rid of it because they're sentimental. Yeah. And so it's, it's funny that they're like that, but there's so many creative ways to rent. You can even rent your driveway. You can rent your driveway for someone to park their RV on. Um, but there's lots of different ways that you can make your house pay you. Such great nuggets. I, I love those little strategies. I, I hadn't thought about a garage or your driveway so that's, that's creative thinking. I absolutely love that. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, you're right. When you have a pool, um, if you're renting to somebody, hopefully you've taken the time to vet them and you're mm -hmm. comfortable letting them in your home. So it would be natural that, hey, it's okay to come out here and swim with us because we like you, right? I never want to rent any of my properties to people I don't know, like, and trust. If I don't know, like, and trust them, you probably shouldn't be renting to them because down the road, you're going to have problems when times get tough and market conditions change. And, you know, uh, our purse straps get a little tighter like we're experiencing right now. So, mm -hmm. so tell me, let's, let's get a little more current in today's time. 
Um, I know you're now the general partner on a thousand doors. So congratulations about that. That's super exciting. Tell me, what was the transition? Are you still doing um, long-term rentals on single family homes and doing apartment investing? So no. Um, so the first 15 years of our journey was single family and small multi. And then I also launched a property management company within there. So again, that was another way for me to contribute to the family finances was the investing. And then eventually I you know, got some income that was coming in from that. Um, and eventually I went back and I got my, I got my MBA and went and, and got a W2 job as well. And so that was, that was also helping us with that trajectory. But 15 years in, I got completely burnt out of being the landlord, taking care of all the properties. Cause we were literally DIYing everything. We were in this DIY mindset that I don't think served us. I mean, it served us a little bit, but it also hindered our, our progression. Um, and so like literally all of our own muscles, skills, time, we drag all five kids with us to the fourplex and, and clean it when a new, when a tenant moved out. And it was actually really good exercise for the kids because they um, saw what we were doing and they helped and then they got paid and we, and then again, tax strategies, right? You can use a tax strategy where you shift income to your kids. And so if they work for you in your business, you can save a lot of money on your taxes. So we use that. Um, but today, so after 15 years, just completely burnt out, I was looking for a different way to invest in real estate because I just, I just didn't want to do it the hard way anymore. <laughs> um, and I had always wanted to buy an apartment complex. I always thought, you know, eventually we'll buy an apartment complex and then we'll be set for life. Like that will be our, our, you know, thing. And then I look at apartment complexes and I'm, you know, looking them up online and I'm like, oh, they cost millions of dollars. And I check my bank account. Yeah. And there's not millions of dollars in my bank account. So now what? Um, and so then I'm trying to to work through how do I even buy this apartment complex? And I just, again, dove into books and reading. I, I love to, I consume information. I get obsessed with a certain thing and I go down all the rabbit holes um, and learned that, oh, actually most people don't buy apartment complexes on their own. They actually buy it as a group. So we pool our resources. So some of us have the time, have the experience, some have the money, you know, and we pool our resources and we all go buy an apartment complex and then share in the profits together. So that's, what's the, so cool about apartment investing. And I was like, wow, this is pretty fascinating. Of course I had some mindset issues I had to get over because I was used to controlling everything and I was nervous to partner, you know, but the first step we did was we actually invested passively into, uh, in a, into one of these, a part, a group, a um, group of investments. And when you're a passive investor, that means you're simply investing your money. You don't have to put in the time. You don't have to, you know, manage it or do all of that. You're, you're just the money partner. Um, so I liked that concept and we did that and I just fell in love with it. I'm like, this is amazing there. This is an amazing way to invest my money because I'm getting really great returns. In fact, some of those returns were better than some, what I did on some of my single family homes that I, that I put in so much sweat and tears and right. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's even better. And so I fell in love with that. And that's when I launched my company, Steady Stream Investments. And I launched it as a passive investor education company because I want to educate people about this type of investing and all the things they need to know, the ins and outs and all arounds, what to watch out for, the risks, the benefits, um, and just help people 
do this. And so now that's what I do. I put together groups of investors who want to simply invest their money, who, who are, who maybe have a bunch of kids and they don't have the time to go out and like manage a rental or even find one or, you know, and make sure they're getting a good deal. That's very overwhelming if you haven't done it before, but investing in a group is like, Hey, we all hold hands and let's invest together and, and uh, share in the profits. And it's, it's pretty yeah. powerful. And yeah. that's how I was able to scale to, you know, over a thousand units is by, by joining groups like this. Now, do I own all a thousand on my own? Of course not. I don't, I own a, a piece of those. Right. Um, but I really like the, the concept and it's just, I don't know, it just fits me, it fits me much better than trying to bang my head against the wall and do it all myself. <laughs> I appreciate that sentiment. I have found that my favorite ones are the ones that I invest in other people's groups instead of my own, because yeah. even as the general partner, you're on weekly asset management calls, you're communicating with your investors. I mean, it's a job, right? Yep. Just like a property management is a job, and <laughs> so um, I share in your sentiment. And it, so, so what does your future look like then? Well, wait, I don't want to um, escape talking about the sixty-five bed senior living community. Mm -hmm. I am fascinated by this, and I've always stayed clear of them because there's limited financing. So, at least from Freddie and Fannie, because there's more than 60% of a demographic in that, that kind of a community. So share with me, how have you overcome that? And then what has your experience been to date? Yeah, so the assisted living was really interesting to me. So in the senior housing category, there's, there's, there's three different um there's three different types. So there's the um, 55 plus communities, right? Where 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 people are pretty much on their own, but there's lots of amenities and and there's a nurse on site to help with anything if they're if if they need stuff. Then you move up to the level of care that's assisted living. That's in between the um, skilled nursing facilities. So you have the skilled nursing facilities where essentially they're near very near the end of their life. They can't do much for themselves anymore. They need 24-hour care. Assisted living is where they need care every day, right? So they need help with their medications. They might need help, uh, you know, using the restroom or things like that. But for the most part, they can still move about. They can still eat, feed themselves, uh, things like that. So I really liked that one, the middle one, um, a lot. And then also the thing that attracted me was with the partners that I met when I was talking to them about joining, they were very, they were doing memory care. And um, I have a grandmother who suffered from Alzheimer's and I watched, I watched my parents take care of her because they didn't have, they didn't have anywhere else to send her and they didn't feel like they could send her. They, they felt like very responsible to take care of her. That disease, Alzheimer's is such a hard disease because it's somebody that you love that has loved you and suddenly they turn into a different person. They don't know you. They're angry. They are violent often. And it's just, uh, it's so hard. Mm -hmm. And I watched them go through this and experience and, and, you know, we even went and, you know, babysat grandma, right. For uh, you know, a couple of times so they could go out and get, get a break. Um, but man, it was difficult to watch a loved one go through this and, and it lasted for years and years and it wasn't, it wasn't even a quick disease. So the memory care facility really meant a lot to me. And it was something that I wanted to 
um, do to help provide in my own way. I'm not a nurse, you know, I'm not a healthcare professional, so I, I can't really care for the patients, but I can provide a beautiful facility for them to live in. And I can provide, um, you know, help for other families that need, you know, grandma or grandpa to go somewhere where they can be taken care of and, and they can be safe. Uh, so that was really important to me. And so with the assisted living, I found a group, I, you know, I found partners and this is what, how you do it in, in, you know, today is you find partners who are already doing that. And then you jump on board and you say, okay, I can help in this way and this way. And so I can help bring investors to the deal. Uh, and then I can help manage it on the back end. I can help with, you know, you, you figure out ways that you can help with the deal and then you go through and you do it. So the nice thing about it is I partnered with people who are already experienced, who already knew what they were doing. So I didn't have to do the figuring out of like the things like the loan and, and all of that. They were already known in the industry. Oh, wow. That that's powerful. Yeah. I have an 89 year old mom right now and thankfully mm. she still has her memory, but I could see where that would just be grueling to have to see your loved one go through that. So I'm sorry you had to experience mm -hmm. that, but what a wonderful facility to be able to give that to others that are going through that. Yeah. Well, okay. So what are you doing today? I know you said you're educating other people that are around you and listen to you. And um, so what's in your future? So today I am, I, you know, I'm just really passionate about educating other women and families for about about money, essentially. So I talk about money all the time, which is really ironic because when I was growing up, it, you know, it wasn't kosher to talk about money. Right. Um, yeah. And now that's what I do for a living as I talk about money. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, what a, the thing that I love the most is I, I just wanted to make it a, not a taboo subject is it's really funny because money is something we deal with every single day of our lives. It's literally there, but it's like, oh, we don't talk about it. <laughs> like, yeah. We don't talk about money. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh like gosh. oxygen though. We it need is. it. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, we need it. And the sad thing is that you know, I was looking up some stats the other day about women and money and 40% of women have less than a hundred dollars in a savings account. Oh. And and who has the most trouble during a divorce? The the woman typically, right? Especially if she doesn't know what's going on with the finances. I mean, if your spouse died today, do you know where the money is? Do you know how to handle the money? Um, and this is something that, you know, as I'm getting older is becoming more glaring and more, um, you know, and I'm, I'm becoming more desperate to teach women that who are in their forties and fifties, like, okay, this, you need to know these concepts and here's the reasons why you can't rely on someone else for your own financial future. I think we got, we got too comfortable thinking that, oh, you know, if we have a spouse, he'll be around forever and he'll take care of us and, and we'll be fine. Um, the, but the reality is no, you're, you're not going to be fine because there are these risks in your life. And so just having a solid financial base 
And then also demystifying it. Like let's, let's not tell ourselves anymore that, oh, we just, I just don't understand money. I'm not good with money or I'm not good at math. Like that's a blanket statement that I think we just got to spit out of our minds and never say that again and say, I can be good with this. I can manage it. I have confidence in my ability to do so. Um, and I think you gain that confidence just by educating. So that's what I'm so passionate about. So I have my company, Steady Stream Investments, who educates about specifically investing in a group in group investments and, and figuring all that out. But I also have a podcast called Quiet Wealth. And in Quiet Wealth, I'm talking about basically money level two, right? So there's a lot of educators who teach about how to get out of debt, how to budget, you know, all of the basics. But I'm teaching about what do you do when you are already you know, okay, financially, and you're at this point where like, okay, well, I, I have surplus, and I just don't really know what to do or, or how to really grow and, and what I even should do. Um, so that's what I'm teaching. And there's three pillars in there. One is investing, of course, you need to be a real investor, not just a Oh, 401k investor or, oh, someone else does it for me. No, let's, let's be a real investor. Let's figure this out and, and you can do it and you can learn it. And then number two is um, having a business and this is specific for tax strategies. So let's play the tax game and, you know, we're, I'm going to teach you how to play the tax game. And then the third one that I'm really passionate about too is generational wealth. So how do you pass on healthy money habits knowledge, you know, what, what your kids need to be set up financially for the future and avoid all of those financial traps that maybe you fell into when you were in your twenties. Um, because there's a lot of people who have to, who just start in the hole and have to just dig and climb and climb and climb. And, and I'm really passionate about making sure that my children don't fall don't start in that hole. Um, and so we're doing things like, you know, I'm teaching them investing. We talk about assets and liabilities at the dinner table and my kids roll their eyes at me sometimes. And that's, a, that's okay. Cause they're teenagers. They're almost all teenagers right now. And that's normal for them. But we do like, uh, we'll go out and flip a house as a family so that they get that tangible work and they understand the value of active income. And then we take that money and that we make on that house and we all invest it together into a short-term rental. And now they go from active income to passive income. And so it's setting your kids up for, you know, this financial future that, I mean, heck my kids, they, they, they have the knowledge and tools to be millionaires way before I did it. <laughs> and so oh, it's, yeah. uh, that's, that's something that I'm passionate about too. And, and so I'm teaching classes to parents. I'm teaching like group classes to parents about how they can help set their kids up for financial success and how to really have healthy money conversations in your household um, rather than the unhealthy ones. And, you know, we're fighting about money or we're like, no, you can't, we can't afford that. Like that's a, that's a, here's a simple one, right? Stop saying we can't afford that. Instead say, okay, you want to buy a four-wheeler, right? My kids want to buy a four-wheeler. I'm like, okay, how can we afford that? And now you know, suddenly you switched your brain on to trying to figure out how to solve that problem instead right. of, oh, we just can't. Right. And so it's just a completely different mindset that I'm trying to really instill in my kids. I think all the stuff you're doing is so in line with my beliefs as well. And, um, I hope I know all my listeners are going to be tracking you down to figure out how they can get more educated in this space too. 
So thank you for the services you're providing to so many women out there. My dad early on told me that he was going to make sure I was good at math because he knew that his mom married three different men to provide for her children. And it wasn't, it was out of necessity because A, she lacked the skill set in her mind that she couldn't go get a job that would be sufficient enough to provide for her three children. So educating yourself in the area of finances or just having a skill that allows you to go get a job and give you options for your future is so critical. But I'm like you, I'm passionate about making sure women, um, when I look around the senior living facility where my mom is at now, nine out of 10 are women, which says men die before women. And as a result, these women are left with hopefully, hopefully a nice sound investment portfolio that gain knowledge in that area, he may leave them with very little. And then you may be destitute. So my goal like yours is to make sure we get the word out is don't let finances be a scary thing. Become educated in this space. Empower yourself. Have those difficult conversations around the dinner table or on date night about your finances. It shouldn't have to be about, hey, what next vacation do we need to take? Or, hey, I want, you know, let's get down and dirty and talk about finances at date night. And and let's set some goals for ourselves that are attainable, that give you the ability to create some momentum behind your your financial legacy that you want to leave behind. So yeah, exactly. With that, how can people find you? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, definitely check out my podcast, Quiet Wealth. So I, I do a lot of educating there and, um, or you can go to my website, studystreaminvestments.com or LinkedIn is my favorite social platform right now. So please connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty sure I'm the only Camilla Jeffs on LinkedIn. Awesome. (laughs) Good for you. I love it. I met somebody that it's just one letter off of my name. And she's like, I hear your people all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I love that. Well, everybody I'm sure is going to flock to find you on LinkedIn. And I'm again, thank you so much for taking the time this morning to join us and educate our listeners on how to prepare for their financial future. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mastering Money for Moms podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, follow, and leave a rating or review because it helps support the growth of this podcast. Also, I'd be so grateful if you would please share our podcast on Instagram and tag me at Mastering Money for Moms to help us grow our community of mothers. We'll see you on the next episode of Mastering Money for Moms.